Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Thank you for praying for us while we were on vacation. I, I actually had really good rest. In fact, I was sleeping in there. I usually wake up about 5 o'clock in the morning. I, I don't ever set my alarm. I just wake up 4, 30, 5 o'clock in the morning. Not on vacation. <laughs> I got used to sleeping in. I, I, couldn't, I didn't know if I could do it again, but it can't happen. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for praying for us. We had a good, a good break, and it's good to be back. We're in Ephesians tonight, Ephesians chapter 4. We will look at verses 17 through 24. The old man contrasted with the new man. And uh, where are you at tonight? You the old man or the new man? Well, of course, you are the new man if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, the old man is what you were, B.C., But uh, we'll look at it here tonight, and uh, let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our study together. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble in Jesus' name, for the freedoms we have to do so. And uh, we thank you for each one that's able to come out tonight. Pray that you would bless our study together, our time of fellowship together, around the things of God. Lord, the things that matter for not only time, but for all eternity. And uh, Lord, we also would pray for the the young ladies group that's meeting tonight tonight. And some of the moms, uh, Lord, we thank you for each one of them and pray that that would be a fruitful study as well. So we commit our evening to you now, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Ephesians. The theme of the book is the church. We sometimes say the universal church, but I guess I want to be just a little careful there because, uh, you know, you have the first three chapters that are essentially doctrinal in nature. And uh, emphasizing our position in Christ and the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And then, as Paul typically does, he builds practice on top of doctrine. The last three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, emphasize practice. Well, that's uh, the section we are in at this point. And uh, where doctrine has more of a universal emphasis, uh, when you get to the practical section... The practical outworking of the church happens in conjunction with the local church. Uh, You don't say, well, I'm I'm, I'm a member of the universal church, and that's where I show up every Sunday. Uh, No, uh, you show up in a local church. Uh, Where are the gifts used? Well, gift use is found in the local church. Accountability is in the local church. Uh, elders are in the local church. All of these things relate to a, a local church emphasis. So, uh, yeah, uh, there is some overlap here as far as uh, the universal church and, and the local church. But in practice, uh, a lot of this relates to uh, the local church. The goal is the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, that's the goal, uh, to build the, see the church build up in, in love. And we left off last time, uh, the, right here, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Everybody's got a, a special God-ordained role in the church. According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So I think a healthy body is one where everybody is participating. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody's got a part. This is how the body is built up. Now you can function, right? I mean, you can, uh, Mac, you can function without a finger or two, right? Yeah, you're still keeping on, but you'd probably rather have it. See, see that that one member you're you're missing him. You see, like we're not showing up. It, it, you can still function, but it's uh, it's a little harder. So anyway, uh, note uh, here, Ephesians four one starts out. The chapter started out. Therefore, uh, the prison of the Lord. I therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And really, we could break uh, the chapter down in this way. Um, walk worthy, that's the, the emphasis here, related to unity, the first 16 verses, related to conduct, the last 16 verses. So uh, this is the section we're in now. We've talked a lot about unity relating to walking worthy. Now we're going to talk a lot about conduct in relationship to walking worthy. Okay, uh, let's have somebody read verse, uh, verses 17 and 18. I think we'll break it up a couple verses at a time. Uh, you want to read that, Albert? Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Okay, thank you. I think I forgot one slide here. My next slide. Nope. Okay. Did I leave out a slide or did you jump ahead of me? You had nothing to do with it? Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay, I left out a slide, but that's okay. All right, verse 17. This I say, therefore. Uh, the word therefore builds on what he has just said, related to unity, which uh, relates to maturity and uh, proper understanding and discernment. Uh, all of this relates to the, the truth shared in love and the building up of the body. In light of all of that emphasis on unity and seeing the church built up, he says, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord. So Paul, as an apostle, as a representative of Christ, spoke for Christ in, in one sense as an apostle. But behind him, the real source of authority is the Lord and testify in the Lord. The Lord himself is the authority behind what is being said here. And he says that you should no longer walk. Here again, started out the chapter with walk. And now again, that emphasis on walk. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. The walk relates to our conduct, our lifestyle, how we live. And so... um, by the way, this is the second of five sections uh, in the epistle that, that begin with an emphasis on walk. Uh, we saw it in verse 1, now here again in verse 17, and then in chapter 5, 2, 8, and 15. So there's a lot of emphasis on walking here as we get into the, the practical section of the book. Um, note uh, here, he continues on, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now, as you think about Ephesus, he's writing Ephesians, right? may have been a circular letter, but that area... Was it largely Jewish or Gentile? Gentile, Gentile, right. So when he says uh, that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, uh, you know, generally the Gentiles had no background as far as the true God. Now, the Jews did have some background, but the Gentiles basically are synonymous with pagans here uh, who don't know the true God, who don't know anything about the true God. They're just Gentiles out here doing their, their own Gentile thing apart from the one true uh, living God who revealed himself to Israel and now is revealing himself through the church. And so when he's talking about uh, the Gentiles, he's really using that in the sense of unbelievers, a characteristic of unbelievers, um, which was largely the population area around there. Talking about uh, those that are unregenerate, that don't have any knowledge of the, of the true God. Uh, no longer walk as uh, the rest of the Gentiles uh, walk in the futility of their mind. Uh, futility means uh, empty, uh, in the emptiness of their mind, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting thing to say. Uh, the idea is useless, no purpose, worthless, good for nothing. <clears throat> and they got a mind problem in the futility of their mind. Uh, what's going on in their minds directs their life, and, and it's empty. It's futile. In terms of before God, in terms of what really matters, what really counts, it's, it's empty. Uh, it's, it's really, somebody has said, all their thoughts are good for nothing notions. Uh, well, that's, pretty, that's true. If you leave God out of the equation, and, and he's not in your thoughts, uh, and that's how they walk. Totally. This, this is a mindset that is totally self-absorbed in self-gratification, as we will see as we go on in our study even here tonight. It's self-oriented all the way. Absolutely. That's right. Versus God-oriented. You want to boil it down, that is the ultimate issue right there. So uh, note, uh, they walk in the futility of their mind. In other words, uh, uh, the emptiness of their minds, the uselessness of it all, uh, missing God's purpose. And... Uh, Here's where uh, this quote from MacArthur comes in. The unregenerate person plans and, re- and resolves uh, everything on the basis of his own thinking. He becomes his own ultimate authority. That's what you were talking about, right? Yeah. And, and he follows his own thinking to its ultimate outcome of futility, aimlessness and meaninglessness to the self-centered emptiness that characterizes our age. And I think that's exactly what you were saying there, Albert. Amen. All right, any thoughts before we go on to verse 18? Uh, 
Okay, he's talking about, uh, you know, you shouldn't walk this way. And now he's going to describe how the, how the people without God, how they walk. And that's what he's describing. And he says in verse 18, having their understanding darkened. Having their understanding darkened. They don't understand spiritual truth. They don't get it. Uh, they don't understand the ultimate meaning, the ultimate purpose in life. Again, it's self-oriented, revolves around uh, perverse thoughts, empty thoughts, the futility of their mind. Uh, it's not, he's not talking about mental IQ here. He's talking about the process of reasoning related to spiritual truth. They don't think right spiritually a- at all. And in fact, their understanding is darkened. Uh, we might say that they are, I know this is going to sound really harsh, right? Especially if I'm talking to a, a whole big audience of unbelievers. You, you might want to pick another text to exegete in that context. <laughs> but really what it's saying is that they are spiritually stupid. Yeah. And they are. They are spiritually stupid. Having their understanding darkened. They don't understand. Uh, you ever witness to somebody and you're trying to get through and it's like, it's like a deer in the headlight look. I mean, they just, they just don't get it. And, and apart from a supernatural work of God, they never will get it. We're really dependent on God to work miraculously in people's hearts as we share the gospel. Um, a couple of verses here. <clears throat> Romans 1, 21. <clears throat> because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. There again, Empty. And their foolish hearts were darkened. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, that's the unsaved person, as he naturally is without God. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. What's the problem? Uh, their foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Uh, apart from the intervention of the Holy Spirit, starting with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, a person on their own never gets it. They never do. They're spiritually stupid and they're, and they're going to remain in that state forever apart from a divine intervention. Having their understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God. Here's their problem. They have no living relationship with God. They have no connection with life. Yes, they have physical life, but no spiritual life. They're alienated from the life of God. They don't have the spirit. They don't have life. And then he says, because of the ignorance that is in them. Uh, spiritual perception and spiritual life go together. And uh, they, don't, they don't perceive. Uh, they are ignorant. Again, they just don't see. They don't get it. And he goes on to say, because of the blindness of their heart. Now, what translation do you have, Albert? ESV. Yeah, which is better at this point because it's more literally the idea of hardness here. Because of the hardness of their heart. They're hard-hearted. A heart speaks of the, the spiritual center of a person, related to their thoughts and, and their will and so forth, uh, the intents of their heart. So they're blind. Uh, someone has said they're like a, a blind man uh, walking in a dark room looking for a black cat. Uh, and they move from room to room uh, trying to find it, and, and they, they, they don't have any perception. It's a it really kind of a, spiritually speaking, what, what a terrible condition to be in. Uh, futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God, ignorance in them, hardness of heart. Uh, you know, that really is a condition to be pitied. It's easy to mock them, but really uh, they're to be pitied. Uh, they, need, they need Jesus Christ. They need regeneration. All right, any other thoughts before we move on to the next two verses? Yes. Well, that's for sure. But I guess the question would be, are they born that way? Or did they acquire this somewhere along the way? Yeah, you, you, you kind of grow in depravity in a sense, but you come depraved, right? You, you come depraved. People come depraved. That's right. That's right. But it's kind of like what you're, you're going back to Romans, right? 
although they knew God, they did not, they did not respond to the light that they have. That's for sure, the, the natural light and so forth. And, and they walk away from it. Yeah, willful blindness. Yep, yep. Okay, any other thoughts? Okay, let's press on then. Uh, verses 19 and 20. Who wants to read that? 19 and 20. Yes, Terry. Who, having become callous, have given themselves up to indecency, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Messiah. Thank you. Okay. I don't know, I'll keep losing track of which... Uh, I didn't go to my next last slide here. John Phillips. Yeah, this is good. The nonsense some men believe shows how darkened their understanding is. Uh, Christian scientists, for instance, believe that death is not real and that pain is an heir of the mortal mind. Mormons believe that they can become gods. Hindus believe that depending on how we behave in this life, we might come back as a cow, a cuckoo, or a cockroach. The scientific community embraces the theory of evolution. The humanist thinks that man is essentially good and quite able to cope with moral problems. Lost people proclaim lies as truth, immorality as morality, high-sounding nonsense as science, and philosophical speculations as religion. Even the most brilliant of them are blind leaders of the blind. Boy, is that not true? I mean, we see that everywhere. I mean, this rings true to life. You've got the most brilliant people in the world saying the most stupid things, spiritually stupid. Uh, it, it is so absolutely true. Well, he continues on here as we read there, verse 19, who being past feeling, um, this is the idea that you were talking about, Mac, a little bit. They become spiritually calloused to where they're no longer responsive. Uh, this is where it, it goes, as we see in Romans chapter 1, uh, where they're given over, given over, given over three times, verse 24, 26, and 28 in Romans chapter 1. And where, do they, where does it end up? They come to the point where there, there is no spiritual sensitivity. Uh, they're unresponsive. So what do we see here? Empty minds, darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorance is in them, hardness of heart, past feeling. That's their spirit. That's, that's what we're dealing with. You want to go out and win people to the Lord. Uh, this is what we're dealing with. We're going to need some help. We're going to need some supernatural activity here. We're going to need God's intervention. That's for sure. That's why we pray. That's a spiral. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And yet all interconnected for sure, right? <laughs> You're not sure about that, huh? No, I'm just... You're thinking about it. Yeah. Well, that's how he un unravels it here. That's right. But, you know, it is all interconnected because, you know, like empty minds, ignorance is in them, uh, hardness of heart, you know, it all, it all connects. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, notice he continues on. Having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with, with greediness. So, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my translation says greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I was reading this this morning. This was—it just reminds me of what's going on in in our country today, mm -hmm. and, and which is also reaching out globally, but especially in America, where everything they're rushing to to anything that's impure, they're for, and anything that is godly, they're against. Yeah, amen to that, brother. We see it <laughs> lived out right here. What he's what he's talking about, and that's. And that's they're giving their whole life over. Yeah, they want more and more and more of it. That's the idea of greedy there. Uh, they're never satisfied with it. They want more and more, and, and they pursue this, this lewdness, this uncleanness to, to that end. Exactly. Um, so notice, uh, having given themselves over, uh, he's been talking about thinking, right? The previous verses, thinking. And now he's talking about behavior. You think they go together? Uh, yeah, they go together. How you think relates to how you behave and how you live. Thinking and living go together. That's why we got all this craziness going on in the world. These people, they're not mindful of God. God's not directing their lives. And this is where it goes when you do your own thinking. It's all futile. God's not represented. He's not directing their lives. Rather, depravity is uh, really directing their lives. And it leads to 
He says, having given themselves over to lewdness. Uh, lewdness is, is kind of a broad word related to immoral debauchery, uh, wantonness, uh, uncontrolled sensuality, where there's, there's no boundaries, um, unrestrained uh, fleshy desires. They're given over to this. And he says to work all. Did you catch that? To work all uncleanness with greediness. Uh, they work at this. Uh, it's aggressive, just like what Albert was talking about. Uh, they're actively pursuing uh, uncleanness. Uh, uncleanness uh, relates to uh, spiritual filth, moral uh, filth. Uh, and really, this word is consistently linked with uh, sexual deviancy, uh, sexual perversion. And boy, what do we got going on in our world today? We're trying to justify this and making laws up to the Supreme Court. Uh, okay, we recognize that. You talk about foolishness. Brains that have checked out, spiritually speaking. Uh, that's where we are. Uh, really, the Bible is pretty clear. Um, these people have real mind and heart problems and hence real moral problems. They are completely devoid of spiritual truth to guide them. They are spiritually mindless and hard-hearted, and this goes together as a package. Hardness of heart leads to mental emptiness, which in reality is the judgment of God as he gives them over to a debased mind. This is not a very flattering picture of people who consider themselves all that and very wise. God says their thinking is empty, dark, and ignorant. And uh, that's what we have represented here, and that's what we see in our society as well. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, This is the will of God, our sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. I mean, this is one of the defining realities for true Christianity. Uh, we abstain from sexual immorality. It's not that believers can't fall into sin. <clears throat> People like to fall back on David, you know, the guy who loved the Lord uh, in, in the Old Testament there. And that's true. Believers can fall. That's why we have all the warnings. But it is not to define us. What is to define us is uh, that we abstain from sexual immorality. This sets us apart. This is our sanctification. This is the very thing that sets us apart. This is so serious that any who are involved in immorality should seriously examine themselves to see if they're, they're in the faith. And uh, certainly if it's an ongoing pattern of life, uh, how did this happen? So he says uh, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Uh, sometimes this is translated as covetousness. Um, and uh, it's equated with idolatry in uh, Colossians 3.5, <clears throat> which is the idea of, of idolatry is when you put something in the place of God or you put something over a God. And uh, in effect, uh, they live for the flesh versus for God. They want more and more. Uh, they're never satisfied. And uh, they're, they're pursuing self-gratification no matter what happens, uh, at all costs, no matter who it hurts. Uh, they're, they're greedy for it. They want more and more. They're never, never satisfied. And then he says, uh, verse 20, but, what kind of word is but? What's well, a three-letter word? Uh, and it's a contrast word, right? But in contrast to all of this, you have not so learned Christ. This is not what Christ is about. You haven't learned this uh, from Christ. You have not so learned Christ. Uh, the idea of learned here is to learn in such a way as to become a disciple. To, that is to be a, a learner or a follower of Christ. And uh, is that not what uh, conversion is all about? As believers, we have become followers of, of Christ. The beginning point of this learning Christ is conversion, but then deepens as we mature. That just begins the, the learning process. But Matthew twenty eight nineteen, go therefore and make disciples. Uh, make learners, make followers. A learning follower is the idea of a disciple, uh, which is really uh, the description of a believer. Uh, to become a believer is to become a follower of Christ. Uh, go and make disciples. Learners, followers of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So uh, that relates to what we're talking about here. You, you have not so learned Christ. To be uh, saved is in effect to learn Christ. You learn something of Christ. You know him. Uh, you know, uh, right now in one of my discipleship classes, I'm, going, I'm right in that section where we're going through the knowledge of the truth. There's some things you have to know in order to be saved. God, God's not willing that he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You have to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is that knowledge? Well, I would submit to you that first and foremost, it's the knowledge of who Christ is. You start there. And of course, what he has done, those two things, who he is and what he has done for us. But uh, as believers, we have come to learn something of Christ. And we have learned that Christ is the standard of everything. Uh, Christ is everything to us. Uh, he's the standard of everything right and everything wrong. And, and he's our everything. Uh, so even the most immature believer knows something of Christ. They've come to the knowledge of the truth. And it's interesting, you know, um, here in uh, John 6.45, but before we get there, learned is the idea of learning in such a way as to become a disciple. Note the issue here, as put forth by Paul, is not simply learning about Christ, but actually they had learned Christ. To learn Christ is to be saved. I mean, I think you enter into a lifelong school of learning Christ. But that's the entry point, conversion. And I think that relates to John 6, 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Uh, there, there is a divine teaching that goes on in the heart related to conversion. Uh, you can teach somebody something intellectually, but unless they see it from the Holy Spirit, they, they've never really seen it. And so he says, but you have not so learned Christ. Okay, we're cutting off in the mid-sentence there, but uh, that's where we stopped our reading. So any other, any other thoughts, any other input there? Okay, let's have somebody read verses 21 through 22. Who wants to read that? 21 through 22. Yeah, Mac. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. Notice he's continuing on, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, when he says, if indeed, it's a first class condition. It is assumed to be true that they have indeed learned Christ. He's addressing them as believers. And so he says, if indeed you have heard him and they heard him, they heard him in conversion and hear an audible voice, but, but they heard him in the sense of the convicting ministry of the Spirit and the Spirit uh, showing them the truth. Uh, they, heard, they heard him in the gospel message. I think they heard him in the sense where Jesus says, my, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. But this is characteristic of true sheep. They hear Christ's voice. Uh, administered by the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what are they? He says, these are the ones I know. They hear my voice and I know them. I have a person. And they follow me. This is the fruit. This is the result of a, of a true response, a true believing response that hears his voice. It follows. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, been taught by him. I think this relates, uh, again, to divine enlightenment. Divine enlightenment in conversion. Uh, Christ works in the heart as the gospel is shared. God works in the heart. So, in a sense, uh, as believers, we've all personally been taught by the Lord. There, there's a divine ministry that goes on. Now, there's a human aspect. We are delivering the message, but uh, we're workers together with him. And, and he does that internal work spiritually that only he can do. And uh, so there, there, there's what I'm talking about as far as that divine intervention. Uh, he is the one who ultimately shows us the truth. 
I love this verse. It's one of my favorite gospel verses. The context here in 2 Corinthians 4 is Paul talking about the gospel. And he says, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Where'd that happen, by the way? Early Genesis chapter verse 3. Yeah. Genesis 1, 3. Early God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Let me ask you, was that a natural phenomenon or a supernatural phenomenon? Was that a miracle? Oh, yeah. That was a creation miracle. Uh, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. I mean, how does that happen? I have no idea how that happened. This is a God thing. It's a God thing. And now he says, this God who did this, you know, we talk about physical light and darkness in physical creation. He's talking spiritually. Who is shown in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see God. And how do you really see that? Who really teaches you that? Well, God does that. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. Only God can make this happen. It's his divine teaching ministry. He shines in our hearts. Comparable to let there be light. What an amazing miracle. Spiritually. Comparable to Genesis 1-3 in the heart of every person. And once you see it, it's amazing. You know, I was brought up ever, ever since I... All my life I was told Jesus Christ is God. When I actually got saved, I walked around and said, Man, Jesus is God. What do you mean? I've been teaching you this your whole life. I just never really believed it. I never really thought about it. Boy, once I got it, I got it. I was taught by him. God opened my eyes. You say, so-and-so led me to the Lord. Well, in a very small way, yes. We are used to deliver the gospel. We are ambassadors for Christ. That, that is true. We're sharing the gospel. But I'll tell you, it's God who does that supernatural work. And we are so totally dependent upon him. He says, as the truth is in Jesus... Uh, Christ is the embodiment of, of the truth that we have come to see. Uh, he exemplifies the truth in his person, everything he did in his conduct, his character. Uh, he said, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he defines truth and he imparts truth. Unbelievers know nothing of spiritual truth that is re- and that is reflected in their conduct. Right? Amen. That's what we've been studying. In contrast, believers have all been taught by Christ in accordance with what defines truth as found in Jesus. We know the truth because God has shown it to us. And that is now to be demonstrated in our walk. There's the issue. You don't know the truth. That reflects. You know the truth. That is to be reflected in our walk. Verse 22. Well, maybe I got another slide here. Actually, I do. Maybe two. Uh, the essence of what believers have learned and been taught is now brought forth in verses 22 through 24 in the four, uh, form of three infinitives. Uh, you put off, being renewed, you put on. So, so that's really what we are now going to go on and talk about. In a nutshell, what Jesus taught them is that conversion means transformation. They were no longer the same people they used to be as defined in verses 17 through 19. Uh, This is how you used to live, self-oriented lives, empty heads, spiritually speaking. But that's not how it is anymore. Uh, And Ryrie's got a good statement here. The putting off and putting on are statements of fact that they had learned to be true. But the renewing of verse 23 is something to be done continually. And uh, there's good grammatical reasons to believe that's really what's being said in in the text. Uh, Note here, this is reflected in the fact that the infinitives of verses 22 and uh, 24 are in the aorist tense, which really is fact of action. Uh, While that in verse 23 is in the present tense. So there's a difference in tenses here. Uh, the old, again, Ryrie, the old is what we were before we were saved. The new is the new life we, we have in Christ. 
And then the Bible knowledge comes. These are not commands for the construction here. And in the parallel passage, Colossians 3 is it's not imperative. Uh, they are facts that believers have learned. And so we're going to impact that in, for just a minute here. Note verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And uh, again, put off here in verse 22 and put on in verse 24 are statements of fact. Uh, It's already true. It's the idea of you have put off. Aorist tense, fact of action. You have put off. Uh, And... uh, The word therefore, as we go on, we won't go there tonight, but we get down to verse 25. Therefore, putting away, lying, etc., 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 assumes this is already true. You've already put off and you've already put on. And the idea, therefore, is to live accordingly. Uh, The spiritual realities that he develops builds on this truth. And we are now to live accordingly. Uh, Paul here is reminding them of positional truth and in effect is challenging them to live accordingly, which is reflected in the sandwiched, be renewed statement of verse 23. So verses 22 and 24 relate to positional truth established at the moment of salvation, while verse 23 relates to ongoing practical sanctification. So let's uh, unpack it just a little bit that you put off in the sense that you have put off, aorist tense, Concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Believers are taught in conversion that they have put off the old man, right? Yes, we are. Uh, We have been. Uh, If any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have passed away. Believers are taught that it's a new day. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm forgiven. I have a new identity in Christ. And that's what he's emphasizing here. And this affects our old lifestyle. The old man has been put off in repentance. He's been put off in repentance. The sense is you were, you were taught that you have already put off the old person. And this is what Romans 6 is about. Uh, is the old man alive or is he dead? He's dead. Have we been crucified with Christ or not? Uh, we are, Galatians 2.20. Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This is what uh, we have been taught. Uh, conversion emphasizes a changed life. Notice he says, uh, put off concerning the Former conduct, the old man, the old man, the old man is who we were prior to salvation, prior to salvation, as defined and described in the previous verses in 17 through 19. Uh, That's who we were in Adam, the natural man. But that's not who we are now. The old man is dead. He's dead. But we still have the flesh with all its desires and therefore we struggle. But the point here is that we are not the same old person we used to be. That person has been put off as we were taught by Christ. In Christ, we now have a whole new spiritual identity as a new man. This is who we are in Christ. So there's, there's been a, a putting off. Now, there's a practical application of this as well, but there's a positional reality, and he's driving that positional reality home right here. Uh, Notice he says uh, of the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And so here he takes a moment to rehearse uh, how the old man functions. Uh, He rehearses the the nature of depravity here, um, as seen in the old man. And the old man is characterized by moral degeneration. Uh, He grows more and more corrupt. Uh, Notice he grows corrupt. Uh, There's an an evolving corruption going on here in the old man. And uh, depravity never gets better, but it can get worse, in a sense, in the sense of practice. It grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Um, More and more. Uh, it is mired down in de- deception related to lust. Okay, uh, we got two more verses. 
Anything else you want to add to that? Okay, let's finish out. Somebody want to read uh, verses 23 and 24? 23, 24? No? Okay. Joy? Okay, so again, verse 23, when he says, and be renewed, this is in the present tense, present tense. Uh, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, You're a new creation, and to remain in a healthy condition as, as a new creation, you need to be having your mind renewed. It's an ongoing process. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, constantly need to be having your mind renewed that you may prove what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, again, we have that mind issue. Remember how he started out by talking about the futility of their mind? Now he's talking about the renewing of our mind. Uh, The real battle in life is the mind. It's what you think about. It's what you think about. This is where life happens. It really happens in the mind. You don't have to go anywhere and you can go everywhere in your mind, right? I mean, you turn on the television, I mean, you can get into all kinds of fantasies. (laughs) You can go anywhere in your mind. And what you think you end up living out. You know this memory verse, right? Proverbs 4.23. You've memorized that verse, right? I hope so. It's a small one. You need to memorize this verse. Proverbs 4.23. Uh, keep your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. Some translations have guard. Guard, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it spring the issues of life. What's going on in your heart is really the whole issue of life. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, what you think about. And then he continues, verse 24. And that you put on the new man. Again, this is in the aorist tense. Which was created. It's already happened. According to God. In true righteousness and holiness. Uh, So again, the sense is uh, have put on. uh, That you have put on the new man. Uh, You are a new creation. Positionally, this is already true. You are a new person. You now think differently. You now have a new nature. You now have the Holy Spirit, and that impacts your whole life. You're no longer what you used to be. Now, it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be cultivated. That's verse 23 that we just talked about. Uh, note here, uh, John MacArthur says, It should be noted that although this is essential to uh, affirm that salvation is a divine and sovereign miracle apart from any human contribution, it must also be affirmed that men do hear and believe and lay aside the old while putting on the new. And that's an interesting statement coming from John MacArthur, you know, a very strong Calvinist, but uh, stronger than I would be. But uh, notice what I say here. Uh, This reflects the tension of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And yet, in the final analysis, it's all grace. It's like two magnets. You almost get them together, and then they go apart. This tension is beyond what we can fully grasp. And so, like I say, if I'm going to fall off on one side of the horse or the other, I'm going to fall off on the sovereignty of God's side, for sure. Uh, Of him and through him and to him are all things, for sure. He is the Alpha and the Omega and so forth. But uh, there is this reality of uh, put off and put on uh, related to our position in Christ. And uh, as believers, they have put off. They have put off the old man. You know, that old man, that, that's not who they are now in terms of their ultimate identity. They now have a new identity. They're a new man, which he says, this new man, which was created according to God. And really, more literally, uh, according to what God is, created according to what God is. What's this mean? What's this mean? Well, We are born again. We are born of God. And what that means is we are now partakers of, are you ready for this? The divine nature. 
we have something of God in us related to our nature. That is our new nature. Now, we're not God. <laughs> we'll never be God. But we are partakers of the divine nature in terms of the new nature that God has given to us. It's an amazing truth related to who we are as the, the new man. By the way, uh, this is uh, not uh, merely reformation or renovation, but what? <clears throat> Regeneration. New life. New life uh, created according to God. Uh, created in the sense that we are not partakers of God's nature. And this is a whole new thing. We're a whole new man. This is our whole new identity. Yeah, we still got that old flesh we wrestle with. Yeah, that's true. But that's not our ultimate identity now. We put off the old man positionally. And we have put a, we got a whole new identity. We're now a whole new man. And his whole point is, now we need to live accordingly. Amen. We need to live accordingly. And notice how he further describes this new creation. Created according to God, according to what God is, in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, this new nature we have is really quite wonderful. You know, it never wants to sin. And in fact, the new nature never does sin. It doesn't sin. 1 John 3, 9. Now we got the flesh... You know, we got, we got this battle that goes on inside of us, Romans 7, Galatians 5. But um, this new nature, uh, this new man is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, now, that's interesting. Uh, that, what, what is that a picture of? Well, that, that's a picture of Godlikeness, right? Godlikeness. Uh, True righteousness is God's holy standard. Um, holiness is the idea of being set apart, belonging to God. So to wrap up, I've got two more slides. True righteousness and holiness are a contrasting parallel to deceitful us. What God has made of us is, in the, very, is the very opposite of what dominated us in the old man. In chapter 4, Paul calls the believer to walk in keeping with his position in Christ. There are two great emphases in view. Number one, walk in a worthy way in keeping with the unity we have in Christ. Number two, walk in holiness, which is in keeping with Christ and the reality that we are now new creations. Partakers of the divine nature. By the way, I'm not going to get into this tonight, but uh, you know, uh, we are partakers of the divine nature. And down deep, our true identity desires to do what's right. And uh, yet, uh, where does the power come from to do it? That's the Holy Spirit. That's why we need Romans 8 to complement Romans 7. Otherwise, we're left in the struggle of Romans chapter 7. Even with, you know, the things I do, I hate it. Why? Because I got a new nature. And yet, where does the power come from? Uh, that's the spirit chapter of Romans 8. The Spirit's mentioned more in Romans chapter 8 than any other chapter in the Bible. Uh, our position in Christ should be reflected in biblical unity and in holiness. Uh, Harold Honer says this, uh, just a FYI note, worthy of note is that the old person does not remain with the new person. One cannot be a Christian and a non-Christian at the same time. <clears throat> uh, what you are in chapter 4, verses 17 through 19 is different than what you are in verses 22 through 24. You can't say, well, verses 17 through 19 define me and also verses 22 through 24. No, 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 no. Sorry. Yeah. Honer is right. It's one way or the other. You can't have it both ways. Now, you can be a disobedient child. You can, you can walk in the flesh <laughs> to a point. That's true. But you know what is going to happen to you if you do that? You have a heavenly father, and what's he going to do? Say, well, he's going to discipline you. To what end, Hebrews 12 says? To build holiness into your life. To get you lining up with the new nature, with the new person that you really are in Jesus Christ. Putting off and putting on is a package deal related to conversion. They had been taught that becoming a Christian involves radical change. 
From the human side, it involves repentance as God works in the heart. This is a change of mind, a whole new way of thinking. From the divine side, it involves a a new creation as we are born again and assume a whole new nature. What Paul is showing us is that the conduct of the old man is an integral part of what that person is. And conversely, the conduct of the new man is an integral part of the new person. Who the person is, is reflected in their conduct. And that's what he has laid out for us here in our study tonight. I remember I got saved. I was 21 years old. I was raised in a Christian home. I mean, I heard the gospel my whole life. But I went home after I really got saved. And I sat down at the kitchen table and I described what happened to me to my mom. And my dear godly mother, one of my earliest memories is seeing my mom praying, you know, in the bedroom on her knees. But uh, when, when I got done talking to her, she said, this is like night and day what has happened in your life. <laughs> yep, that's true conversion. There's the putting off, the per- putting on. Now, yeah, there's a whole growing process. You know, we were born again, but, you know, as new babes, we have to grow. We have to mature. We have to grow up. And there's a lot of things we don't understand. There's a lot of things we get in. We mess our diapers and everything else. You know, we do it all. But uh, yet, God, can, we're still a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's our, that's our position in Christ. All right. Any other final thoughts before we wrap up here tonight? Yep. <laughs> well, reading this, it just reminded me of 1 Peter chapter 1, where he says, in, in this translation, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, renewing your mind, being sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who has called you is holy, so you be holy. Amen. Yeah, and the warnings are there. I mean, we still have the flesh. We can still walk according to the flesh. That's why we have all those warnings, that's for sure. And yet, uh, down deep, we are who we are in Christ, and nothing can change that reality. All right, let's uh, share some prayer items. Uh, You need a prayer sheet?